Hello friends, this is John Klein III with episode 92 of Shadow and Flame of Magic, the podcast. And today we're going to review What If, Volume 1, or the 1977 volume, Issue 27. What If Phoenix Had Not Died? So let's get to it, to it. And once again, thank you, Francisco, for providing the theme song to the podcast, and appreciate it, and you. And so, bring What If Season 2 this month, we are going to review four issues of What If. This is the only one from the first volume that I own, and it would have cost you 75 cents. It is comic book approved, which is amazing that all of these are approved, but maybe it was because... Because almost all what-ifs end with one person dying or the entire world dying. And then I bought this. It's a polybag to believe for $8. So quite the markup. <clears throat> but it's a great issue. Uh, it would have came out in July 1981. So it's officially older than me. It is written by Mary Jo Duffy. Jerry Bringman. Bring him, penciler, John Stewart, inker, colorist, Carl Garford, letters, Simic and Chetting, editors, the following, Grinwald, and editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. Stanley presents a stunning saga of an alternate reality. <clears throat> I am the Watcher, one of a race of timeless beings who have dedicated themselves to observing the events that transpired on all the myriad inhabited worlds across the universe. For eons, my purview has been your earth, and my innate objectivity has been tempered by fondness for its people and its heroes. Over the millennia, I have witnessed countless events that have changed the course of Earth's history, and have wondered what if things had gone differently at some crucial point. Lately, I have peered into alternate realities, worlds that spring into existence at a critical moments in history. Witness one such pivotal event. What if Phoenix had not died? And like any good what if, it's one, two, three, four, five pages of setup. In the beginning, there was no phoenix, only Jean Grey, a young beacon blessed with enormous telepathic and psychic powers, telekinetic and psychic powers. Taking the name of Marvel Girl, she joined a team of mutant superheroes, the uncanny X-Men. The Beast, the Angel, Professor Xavier, and Iceman. Jean loved them all in her fashion, but her heart belonged to Scott Summers' Cyclops. As the years passed, the team changed, new members joined, others left. Then came a time when all the X-Men seemed destined to die. Trapped in a space shuttle, they plunged toward Earth. Somewhere, Jean Grey managed to save, somehow, to save her fellow X-Men by piloting the ship and Odadai's. It's the black text on the green background that seems to really mess me up. All the other, so it's an interesting choice. Yellow background, black text, just fine. A solar storm. She, however, has bathed in intense radiation. She should have died long before the craft crashed into Jamaica Bay. Which I have my eye appointment in two weeks, so. It'd be nice to finally get these new 
glasses if possible. Yep, in some miraculous way, she did survive, transform into a godlike being. She burst from the wreckage. Soon afterward, the power of Phoenix was tested by Fire Lord, a being whose cosmic insight was legend throughout the galaxy. Yet, she defeated him. Realizing, cause, uh, which is a cool moment, since Claremont wanted to have her defeat Thor in a, for a reason, and comics was like, or Jim Shooter was like, you can't do that, he's Thor. So she, so Fire Lord defeated Thor, and so he picked Fire Lord to be the guy she defeated and then in your brain you go, hey, that guy defeated Thor not too long ago. I bet she could defeat Thor if she wanted to. It led to another start. Oh, wait. Legendary throughout the galaxy. Yes, she defeated him. Realizing the extent of her new power, the X-Men began to question where it might lead her. It led to another star system and a mad get quest for power, a galactic emperor had endangered all existence by releasing the force of a neutron galaxy. He had attacked the very heart of the universe and Phoenix used her power to heal it and she, it from from destruction. Frightened by the extent of her power, Phoenix subconsciously set up a series of psychic circuit breakers to contain it. But these barriers were eventually destroyed by Mastermind, the mutant master of illusion. Seeking to bring Jean Grey under his control, he began tampering with her mind. For a time, he, his ploy worked. He exploited the darker, hidden side of her nature, turning her against the new X-Men. Colossus, Storm, Nightcrawler, and her beloved Cyclops. By the time Jean escaped from Mastermind's power, the darker side of Phoenix had emerged as well. Exultant, hovering on the brink of godhood, she flew to the stars. She was in the Black Angel, the Chaos Bringer, as beautiful as terrible as she was mighty. In her hunger for substance, she consumed the star Dabari. With no concern for the solar system she destroyed and the five billion innocent humanoid who perished with it. Returning to Earth, the Dark Phoenix faced her teacher, Charles Xavier, and appalled by what she had become, Jean helped him use his own immense telepathic powers to defeat herself. Together, they set up a new series of psychic circuit breakers hoping to contain the Phoenix entity within her forever. With her power once more reduced to the level of Marvel Girl, a level she had been born to wield and could safety handle, all might have been well, had it not been for the sudden appearance by Princess Lalandra Haramani, ruler of the Galactic Empire of the Shi'ar. I guess I forgot what her last name was, but sure. Defying Lalandra's Imperial Guard, the X-Men lashed out, but they were hopelessly outnumbered. Then, at that moment, Cyclops was brutally cut down at, at, by an energy blast. Grieving and shock combined within Jean Grey until Phoenix was reborn. Realizing that she'd never be able to contain the dark side of her power again, and knowing that it was growing geometrically with every use, that Jean Grey chose to use an alien weapon in her own life. At last, the universe was safe from the ravages of Phoenix. Her gallant sacrifice was a tragedy and a triumph of love. Her comrades and family 
could only mourn. <clears throat> and now we get, but so it's pretty much a fun first five issues of what if Jerry Brigham had drawn Uncanny X Men ninety nine through one thirty eight. So that's fun for any artist to be able to do. But in the flush of battle, split-second decisions and hair-trigger reactions can change the very tides of history. Oh, and I'm also reminded that Rachel Gray, uh, I've been doing a bunch of back-issue reading, especially of Excalibur. And during the cross-time caper in Excalibur, the the team went through all these different um, dimensions and never met another Rachel Gray because... Well, for one, what's the chances of alternate universes having a gal from a distant future being transported to the past? And then you make alternate universes from that? Like, <clears throat> like that's a big what if. Start any extra universes off of. And then, but also they say that the real reason is because the Phoenix is a singular entity. But then you read all these what ifs involving the Phoenix, and clearly alternate universes do have Phoenixes. Phoenix I? Phoenixes? Phoenixes. But in the flush of battle, reactions can change the very tides of history. Witness such a moment as Marvagor sees the blast aim for her and Cyclops, and an instant sooner reacts. Scott, look out! Gee, she jumped in front of that blast, saving me. Ugh. Curse you! I don't dare care how many of you there are. I won't let you touch her. And then Scott just starts winning. Never! Throw Cyclops fights as valiantly, as desperately as any man could. He is only one man against many. Eventually, the power of his optic force beams is exhausted. And like his fellow X-Men before him, he falls. Defeated, the X-Men are brought to the Imperial flagship of Lalandra's Grand Fleet, where the scientists of Shi'ar prepare for the destruction of Phoenix. And Lalandra explains, It is doubtful our science could reflect an entity as mighty as the Phoenix, so we must try to restrain it through its human host. Our psychic lobotomizer will act upon Jean Grey's brain, destroying certain parts of it. She will retain most of her memories and intelligence, and if our calculations are correct, her phoenix power will be a threat no more. The operation is short, as it is effective. Scott. It's alright, Jean. I'm here. No one's going to hurt you anymore. Then, they're all flying back to Earth. Wolverine's question goes unanswered for now, as he thinks. I used to love that girl for her free fire and spirit. Will this change things? And maybe it will change things and you don't covet another man's like lady. But also maybe don't cover the lady who's in a relationship. As I regret framing her as some dude's lady. Um but yeah, like she chose the guy she wants. She can easily break up with one guy to date the other and she's like, nah. I'm good. Later in the Westchester County mansion of Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, the elegant 
facade which conceals the secret headquarters of the uncanny X-Men. And Jean's bringing out tea and cookies, and Beast is like, tea? I never expected you to be serving anyone or anybody. And it's like, come on, Beast. Like, she's trying to just have a role on the team. And But her reaction at first was like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I could bake cookies if you like. Where it's like, man, Beast, be cool. Soon, and then Beast and Angel leave so they can go back to the champions. In the days that follow, Jean looks for ways to be of use to her teammates, finally finding a niche monitoring the apprentices of the danger room, where the X-Men test and hone their mutant abilities. So Colossus is asking for her to ease up on the machine, putting all this weight down on him, but then Kirk teleports on top of the machine, like suddenly, and then Kirk teleports on the machine, Colossus so scared of his friend being smashed that he pushes the machinery all the way back up. Reacting more to the danger to his friend than to himself, the Russian-born Colossus strange against the hydraulic press until he saved everybody. And then Gene turns the laser beams onto him. He keeps dodging, but then he accidentally falls into Wolverine's area of the danger room, where Wolverine has to now smash some maces to keep Kurt safe. Moving with unnerving speed, the Canadian Wolverine uses his token, his retackable adamantium steel claws to make short work of the flying mace. And then we get to why I own the issue on page 11. Showing off is the furthest stream from the mind of Kitty Pride, codenamed Sprite, which I just saw a commercial for the cranberry sprite, and I forgot that was a thing, and I saw her once, so give it a try. She is the newest X-Man, enlisted to replace Marvel Girl, and she means nothing more than to survive her training, which is a fun twist. Jean's encouraging her. Gee, this is so weird. A few weeks ago, Kitty thinks, I didn't even know I could phase my body through solid objects like this, and now look at me. And Jean thinks to herself, poor Kitty, she wants to so much to do well to become part of the team she only sees the good the x-men can do she doesn't see the dangers or the harm we can do so Jean's constantly thinking about the dark phoenix suddenly uh xavier calls him to to his office he has a picture of the launder on his desk which is cute um Jean thinks to herself about how right it felt and natural to hear Xavier's thoughts in her head <clears throat> and so Galactus has taken has landed on one of the Londra's planets the Arma Arama I bet it's that way and no one can get there in time except for the X-Men so and Scott the whole time is like we're not gonna help the Shi'ar out like they hurt Jean. Xavier's like, come on, buddy. My girlfriend needs it. And so off they go. In her mind's eye, Jean sees the image of the demigod reaching out for the defenseless planet, and she shudders. The image is very vivid and strangely real to her. Calling on the few reinforcements available to them, the angel Polaris, the mutant mistress of magnetism, and Scott Summer's brother Alex, the cosmically powered Havoc, the X-Men set out in a faster-than-light star craft sent to them by Lodandra. So she could send a flight, a uh, ship, but couldn't send her 
like a ship of other folks to the planet like like how like I could have used a picture of like planet A B like she are home world and Earth and be like oh yeah I guess one is closer to but it's like that doesn't make any sense so the X Men all land except Scott tells Gene and Kitty to stay on the plane or the spaceship. Angel's the first to notice Galactus using his big machine and Terax, the tamer, is making all the aliens bow to him. And so the X-Men go attacking. Terax is not scared whatsoever. We see Kitty saying, Gene, how do you think the X-Men are doing? And she thinks, Gene, she's really out of it. And Jean's thinking about her own mental powers, how she could be doing cool genie things. And so Scott gets up saying, you haven't defeated the X-Men as long as there's one X-Men still standing. Cyclops unleashes the full power of his optic beams. So the punch dimension is being drained right now. But it's a useless gesture against one who is a master of earth and ground. And so Terax throws a giant like boulder at Scott, knocking him out. And in Jean's mind's eye, she gets the flash of it and immediately stands up. Scott! No, Scott, no, my love. He won't have you. Not that Phoenix has anything to say about it. Jeannie, what did you do? And just immediately, like a star gone Nova, Phoenix blasts her way out of the spacecraft. Exposing the ship's interior and sprite to the vacuum of space. And this is page 17, which will be important later. The young, and I'm going to take three pages of this and put them on Instagram and Twitter at SNFWM. So this would be one of the pages or select panel. The young mutant expects to be die instantly. It's several seconds before she realizes that she is cocooned within a powerful force field. Phoenix gestures, and a protective space chute encases the child. Only then does Phoenix fly on. But she's still, like, floating in space. She did that all so fast, so casually, she hardly had to think about it. But she saved my life. And the X-Men had time to brand as the space suit has a little X circle, like the black X red circle on it. Perhaps it was the touch of Cyclops' mind reaching out to her in his moment of despair. Perhaps the Phoenix power had never truly been destroyed, but had merely lay dormant, waiting, until it could repair the damage to the mind that housed it. But whatever the cause, Phoenix lives anew. And X-Men, or Manons alike, can only look to the heavens and wonder if she comes as their savior or destroyer. Meanwhile, <clears throat> in Havocus... Trying to stop Terex from killing his brother. And Terex is sort of impressed with his cosmic power. But still, like, hits him with the axe. Ag Summer's power first manifested itself when he was 18 years old. It terrified him. It could devastate buildings and raz small mountains. It was years before he acquired enough control to use it safely. Now he unleashes its full fury. And it is not enough. Pretty much he dropped a mountain on Terax. And Terax is like, I control mountains. And so he just <laughs> removes it from himself. 
<clears throat> Nearby, Galactus has almost completed the, a practice that will transmute the entire world into energy for him to consume. He's not interested in tracks or his activities. As long as the hero does his duty, Galactus has no interest in the death struggles of lesser beings. And Phoenix shows up. She finds Terax. He's like, I'm not scared of you, lady. He's like, oh, really? And then she melts his unbreakable axe and then takes away his uh, stone-like exterior, leaving just a very pink fleshiness of him. Which then finally Galactus is like, Phoenix, Terror, Terax has the chosen herald of Galactus. When you humble him, you defy my will. So then they start fighting. <clears throat> While beyond, below on the surface are Mera, Colossus is regathering the team. He wakes up Havoc, who then wakes up Scott. Moments later, Havoc wakes up Scott. Scott looks up to the heavens and sees Gene. Uh, Galactus feels the need to say, I have joined you in the heavens because it pleases me to do so, because he's trying to fight her. But it's like, all right, Galactus, you save face, I guess. We see Galactus from behind, and his helmet looks very silly from behind with his little, like, muffin front of his lid. It's like, all right. Or like a salt, like a cartoony-looking salt shaker. And then Gene destroys his machinery, which Galactus is like, fine. Like, I can easily rebuild it, but this plan is not worth it. Let me grab my Terax and go. But know this, you have the powers of a god. The day will come when you will again have the hungers of one. And Jean lands, her and Scott kiss. And then Angel, I guess, seeing like, oh, kissing's happening. Well, as long as we're expressing our gratitude to the lady, let me take a turn. And Scott's like, right on, Angel. I'm too happy to be jealous. And we see Angel pucking his lips up and Jean plucking up her lips. Much later, in the Mar the Armari, the Armandanians are thanking Gene for all the help. Just then, Lalandra lands and goes like, "You, we're forever in our debt." No, we're forever in your debt. Can you imagine she said it the other way around? They're like, "Um, are we forever in your debt? Like we helped you out." And Gene's saying, "I." Only hope that in some small way I've made it amends for the destruction of the star Jabari. Maybe someday I can learn to live with what I did. And then thinks and to forget what Galactus said. The months which followed the X-Men's return to Earth passes quickly with Phoenix in their midst. They are nearly invincible. It's a simple matter for them to defeat the newly formed Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And to prevent the assassination of Special Agent Peter S Gyrick and Senator Kelly, two members of the U.S. government with strong anti-mutant sentiments. For Cyclops, the days pass blissfully. The woman he loves is whole again and at his side. See X-Men 141 and 142 for the facts as they occur in our reality, tactful Tom. And one wonders, is the days of future past timeline not a thing here? Because uh, maybe Phoenix... Oh, no, no, I guess knowing how the story ends, we don't have to worry about the days of future past. And for young Kitty Pride, it is a lonely time. She's new to the team and has no friends in the mansion, no companions her own age. 
Jean and Aurora are kind to her, certainly, and these women are as close as two sisters, and there is no room for a third. Oh, she looks super sad. Eventually, Kitty develops a crush on good-hearted Peter Rasputin, but his own modesty prevents him from perceiving the depths of her feelings. He looks very, like, I'm trying to hammer here, lady. The furious Wolverine and the inhuman-looking Nightcrawler are far too intimidating to be companions to the child. And they're just palling around. But Professor X never neglects Kitty or her training, and so Sprite is the one X-Man who's aware he suffers from strange headaches and memory lapse. Professor? Uh, excuse me, child, do you say something? And alone in her room, we see Jean trying to not just work on her macro powers, but her micro powers, trying to turn pages of a book that's floating way beyond her. And for the first time in her life, Cyclops, in his life, Cyclops is happy, happier than he's dreamed he could ever be. And she's doing that thing of holding his powers back because she wants to be able to look at her his face so they can do this, and they start making out, and Wolverine just passes by the room like a creeper. Are you happy, Genie? I'm not. And my instincts tell me you shouldn't be either. Not with him. The killer is still there inside you, babe, waiting for the day to break free. I guess I should be scared out of that, but I'm not. We're still two of the kind. I understand you. And it's like, oh, Wolverine, come on, buddy. But I guess his choices are either Kitty or Laurel, and he knows he has zero chances of either of them. Not this early. Storm might eventually be like, who are my choices around here? Wolverine's keen animal instincts do not lie, but there's no one to see when Phoenix begins stealthily slipping out of the X-Mansion the dead of night. She goes around just destroying little asteroids and coming back down. And Kitty goes, golly, why is Jean sneaking into the house so late? And why is she wearing her costume? Then one afternoon, the X-Men receive a distressed call from the Iceman who is visiting Angel at his Rocky Mountain home. Setnos, giant robots created to study and contain the world's ever-increasing population and humanoid mutants. They are ruthless, brutal, and virtually indestructible. And so he gives us distressed call. Soon in the Rocky Mountains, the X-Men show up to fight the Sentinels. Storm blasts one with lightning, but it expresses how it's grounded, so the electrical surge just goes right through him. Wolverine jumps at one and gets put into a box for its efforts. Uh, Nightcrawler tries to fight, but gets gassed. Polaris just gets grabbed, and so I guess without the ability to lift her arms up, she can't control magnetism. Which is always that question of, like in a WWE match, does the referee need to point to the ringmaster to end the match? Because I remember one time, like a referee went to raise his hand, and another wrestler like slapped it down, and it was like, oh, I guess the match continues. Whereas, like, is it really that easy? And Havoc um, tries to get Lorna back, but then he gets blasted. And then Gene's just like, let me destroy a bunch of these sentinels all by myself. And so they get back on the ship. I guess they're still using the spaceship. And Scott kisses Gene goodbye as she wants to um, fly home on her by herself. It's beautiful out tonight. 
Phoenix does not make a conscious decision to fly into space, but it is such a beautiful night that it seems completely natural. And then she finds a tiny star, meaning no harm. It's not the star for any nearby planets or anything. And so, you know, this consumes it. Returning to Earth, the Phoenix feels happy and truly fulfilled for the first time since the Phoenix power manifested itself again. Her power is a song within her. But Jean's about to land when Kitty Pride comes out. Jean, Jean, I've got to talk to you. Professor Xavier has been monitoring you telepathically. He knows what you did. Jean, how could you do that? You destroyed another star. Kitty, it's late. I don't want to discuss this. He, <laughs> like, waves her off. Jean, we're your friends. If something's wrong, we want to help you. We won't let you. Jean Grey's recent joy, her acceleration becomes anger. Hatred. You won't let? The song of her power becomes an inhuman howl. And who are you letting or not letting me do anything? I am Phoenix. I am power incarnate. You are nothing. And poor Katie's last words are, You are. <laughs> U-U-A-A-R-K. You are. And we just see a skeleton with like human flesh being melted off of it. Less than nothing. And she stands over the ashes of Kitty Pride on page 32. So 15 pages later, went from saving her to outright killing her. And this was going to be my third image I was going to use. I think the second one is the uh, sad page of her trying to make friends or deciding not to make friends. Gene, no! And Polaris thinks, my God. And Wolverine's like, Genie? Kalaja's like, Kitty? Storm has hands on her face. Why, Gene? Why, why, Kitty? Unable to believe what they have just seen, the remaining X-Men stand stunned amazement. Jean Grey has always been the kindest, gentlest member. No, no, Jean, you couldn't have. You, you just couldn't. And Xavier comes out like, I'm going to block your brain again. And he's like, you could try. Very well. Phoenix was an entity of light, one of the mightiest forces of the universe channeled through a human woman. Dark Phoenix is a destroyer. She has no humanity and is untempered by love or compassion. There is a battle of wills, a conflict of minds. Chill, tension, fear. Moments slowly ticked by. Too late, Charles Xavier realizes that she is only toying with him. And he knows at last which force has been secretly tampering of his mind. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, because when Kitty was noticing the headaches, I was thinking, like, oh, it's his old honor talking to him from a distance, but that's not it. It's been Jean this whole time. And then, and Xavier just collapses out of the chair face first. And she's like, now who wants to be next? And Angel runs, like, flies at her. Angel, eh? Jean, please listen to me. Warren Warden seems one of Jean's oldest and dearest friends. He wants only to reason with her, even with all he's seen her do. Even when he feels his own body seized by a wave of telepathic force, telekinesis force. He cannot believe that she would ever hurt him. It just like crashes him into like the side of a building. He is wrong. And in a cruel moment, Storm's like, Gene, stop. You're like a sister to me. 
And she buries Storm in the ground. <laughs> which is just horrible. Iceman is next. <clears throat> and she throws him into a wall, but she removes the wall and, ha- and then just has all the bricks just crash on top of him. A crash of a K, though. So it's harder. And then she turns to Kurt, makes him enjoy the taste of his own hellfire as he just burns up, which is cruel. Then War- Colossus makes the mistake of fastballing Wolverine into Jean, and she's just like, you won't. I can stop your fastball special. And she not only stops it, but she flips it and reverses it. Then with a jester, Dark Phoenix transmutes Colossus' back to back to flesh and blood, leaving him defenseless for Wolverine to just with a chuck kill Colossus. Wolverine is given several seconds to fully realize what he was done. Then he too is dragged into Hellfire to Nightcrawler's flaming prior. He does not struggle or attempt to save himself. Only three X-Men remain, but they are the most powerful, and they have used their time to formulate a plan. They realize they must stop Dark Phoenix now before her power grows any further. So, Polaris starts trying to do something. It is the final act of Lorna Dane's life, and the most heroic. And so she was just trying to be a distraction. And Alex sees the love of his life die. Together they have done it. Havoc's power alone is great enough to stagger Dark Phoenix. But it does not destroy her. Instead, and in a wild blast, uh, she shoots a blast through um, Havoc's shoulder. See, in the image, it's his right shoulder, but then you see that on the ground, it says, like, it's flame from his heart so it's like uh, maybe they wanted bigger a wider blast my god we almost did it scotty we almost had her why did you hesitate alex he is dead summers and you are a fool already i am recovering and regaining my strength no gene i love you more than life itself but i can't let you continue i can't let this go on you can't stop me no one can i'm phoenix and you are scott Scott, what have I done? What have I become? No! The Jean Grey's moment of anguish, the Phoenix power engulfs her. No! And then you just hear, No! As Jean's gone, and now Phoenix has destroyed New York, and I imagine Westchester County. And it continues to spread and grow until it engulfs the entire city. And the Earth itself... And still it does not stop, but continues to grow in expanding ever outward across the universe, destroying everything in its path. What happened in your universe when Jean Grey willingly gave her life was a tragedy. What happens in this alternate reality is perhaps worse, but I neither judge nor condemn. I only observe, for I am the Watcher. The End. What an intense 39 pages of content for 79 cents. What the what? And then there's a backup story by the Untold Tales of the Marvel Universe involving Celestials and Eternals, written by uh, Mark Cornwald, 
Pencil pictures by Wilson and Patterson, letters by Morelli, and colors by Gafford, which is a disservice as I, besides Goldward, I don't recognize the other names, and they're not the names who worked on this cover, so or the X Men title. So it's like, uh, uh oh, Carl Gafford. So he did the colors for the whole issue. So that's nice, but the other ones don't don't do it. And so we're seeing um, just, I guess, history of the Marvel Universe. Why not? And then the next issue is going to be the faithful finale, but we are not doing that for this run of What Ifs. I'm not even sure if I own it, What If 28. So, oh no, I must not because it's not in my Shadow and Flame and Magic collection. And that, everyone, was What If Volume 1. That started in 1977, issue 27. What if Phoenix had not died? So thank you everyone for listening. I'm not really sure what's going to be next week's comics as Dark X-Men 5 and Uncanny Spider-Man 5 doesn't seem like that would be. So I might just do my back issues I've bought recently. Because I, I, I don't know, I'm liking the two episodes a week. I think the third one's where, where I start questioning, like, Shadow and Flame of Magic, I don't know, we need to do three episodes a week. But I like the idea of a current comic and a retro comic. Um, I'm trying to remember what Uncanny X-Cast called it. The On, on Stands Now segment and the back issue. Yeah, I don't think there's much elab- more elaborate than that. So... I'll see what is on top of that second pile. And thank you everyone for listening. If you'll like and subscribe, well, not like, but if you'll subscribe to the podcast and give it five star ratings and tell a friend, we really appreciate it as we make the podcast grow. And I'll talk at you next time. All right, everyone. Bye. <laughs>